0: Hello, I'm Paul Z. Jackson, the president of the Applied Improvisation Network, and I'm here in Holland with Heis Gijs. Gijs, please introduce yourself. Okay. I am Heis
1: van Bielsen, and you can pronounce that any way you like. I, I had a ghost. To everything. Paul is pretty decent, actually. Pretty decent. Uh, what are we doing
0: here in Holland?
1: Well, we're in, in, a, in a little town in Holland for a retreat. And this retreat actually is a treat because there's loads of interesting applied improv people. We've heard fourteen in total: uh, Raymond Fendriel, Viv McWaters, uh, Roberto. Um, I can't name all of them; it would take too long. But, and we're talking in depth about applied improvisation as a, as a field of business, as a field where we that we want to expand and explore.
0: And uh, m- many people in the applied improvisation network will know you because you recently requested some participants in a mm-hmm. research project. Yes. Uh, could you describe that? What do you have in mind?
1: Yes. Let's see. It's, it's twofold. Um, the first of all, it started a couple of years ago when I was doing my master's thesis for a business administration study. And there I researched the link between leadership and
0: improvisation. What gave you the idea to, to research that?
1: Basically, I knew from doing my bachelor's thesis that I am very, very, very bad at doing research. But mm-hmm. I had to do more research. So mm-hmm. basically, I sp- uh, you are allowed to spend three months on your bachelor's thesis. And I spent two years. So I thought, okay, now I have to do my master's thesis, which is twice as long. I have to get, uh, pick a topic that is really resonating close to my heart. So I I will have the motivation to keep on doing it.
0: And which was the part that resonated? The leadership or the improvisation? The improvisation.
1: As more people will um, have this story, I started out doing improvisational theater, theater sports, and more and more discovered the power of that. And I started to make links between my study business administration and what was happening on the stage. And I thought, hmm.
0: What was the connection that became apparent to you first?
1: The way that we, as a team of players on a stage, create something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Which is more or less the definition of innovation in companies. But all the literature that I was reading and and getting taught in university, it it, it went around that. It, it was more about planning and logistics and bloody blah, blah. and I thought, no, you're, you're,
0: you're missing some, some very valuable points. The important insight of what you were experiencing week by week mm-hmm. in a performing team. Yes, that you would create something from nothing, and that we can actually practice the skills to do that To do that,
1: so not rehearse the script, but practice the skills. And I thought, why don't we see if those skills hold up in a business environment? I started researching to see whether other people already done something in that academic
0: regard. Hold on a second. Yes. Uh, I'm not completing the picture yet of making stuff up on a stage. Yes. That's all very well and fun and maybe it involves some sort of uh, teamwork and creativity, but mm-hmm. is it is it making anything of value, which is what business is going to want to be doing? Mhm. Yes, although the value is determined
1: differently. In state, On way. a stage, the value is determined by the, um, the, the, the public, the, the audience. Right. And in business, the value is determined by the market, which is basically then your audience. So you play towards your audience, or sometimes, more fundamentally, you th- think of something that you like.
0: So the theatre experience gives you a real analogy Mm -hmm. with business and some exact same skills.
1: Yes, and then you can go, you you need the analogy to get the idea and inspiration to do
0: the research, and then it goes beyond the analogy. So you had the idea to do research that would inspire you to keep going for the time it might take on leadership and improvisation. How do you go about that? Um, we first
1: went to the, the normal um, conservative ways of researching which would maybe require semi-structured qualitative interviews. So you went would go into companies, ask people, okay, do you know improvisation, do you do improvisation, and uh, how does leadership affect that?
0: What were they saying?
1: Um, well, we didn't do that, oh. but that's what we what we were thinking of. Should we do that? And thankfully, my supervisor, uh, somebody who has who had never heard of improvisation or theatrical improv before, um, uh, challenged me to go beyond. And I had a a friend of mine for her philosophy dissertation had written a great piece about using improvisational actors in um as she called it hyper reality in order to do a scientific research in. And that's called theatrical simulation in hyper reality. And so I suggested that research to my supervisor who became very enthusiastic about doing a non-conservative, non-traditional way of research. Mm. And we ended up doing that. So describe how it was for you. To 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 what did you do? Um, oh, what, what, what we do? Well, basically, uh, a theatrical simulation is a, a really structured scene, a really structured game, um, because you need to uh, figure out all the the, the relevant factors uh, around improvisation and leadership, and then put all of them in that simulation in a way that is fixed, so you can um, cop, you, you can replay that simulation. And, you know, certain things are fixed because you need, um, uh, you need to com- be able to compare it. And you have, need to have uh, leave a certain amount of room so you can see where people differ. And that's where you draw your conclusions.
0: Who was coming in to participate in it?
1: I uh, asked different uh, improvisational actors, first from my hometown and then from other towns, um, with a proficiency level of at least three years. And uh, all people with the same um, personal background, in this case, um, uh, highly educated Western European people, because I used a simulation in the uh, European Middle Ages. So they all had to have the same view of that. And how many would you have at a time? Four at a time. And how many times would it run? Um, in the end, we ended up doing uh, 36 um, different. Uh, uh, different sets of scenes.
0: And how long does each group of four spend? Two, uh, two hours. Two hours. And what were the findings? <laughs> this, this, is, this is the, 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 the
1: non-scientific, sure. uh, really short version of it, of yes. course. So I don't need to go into nuances. Uh, we looked at three different leadership styles. One was directive leadership. So basically, I tell you and you do it. Mm-hmm. The other was, was servant leadership, mm-hmm. which is, uh, can I get you some coffee? Um, can I help you with anything? And then we had rotating or shared leadership in which the people worked together and all were f- responsible for the process. And what we found that um, rotating leadership had the best results in terms of the quality of the process and the end result. But had the largest, the most opportunity to go wrong. Because if the people would start to mistrust each other, it will go to hell in a handbasket basically
0: more risk and more possible reward.
1: Yes, Uh, and what we saw that servant leadership was a really nice way of getting directive groups towards rotating leadership. Directive leadership had the the worst results, although the clarity that a a directive leader provides was was highly valued. And we now use, uh, you, you could use a servant leadership, a servant leader to get groups, teams, to get used to having responsibility for the process. And then rotating leadership would be...
0: How does this connect to improvisation?
1: Um, the the process that they were doing was an improvised process. They had to make a product uh, by improvising. So we were looking at how leadership affects the quality of improvisation.
0: Is it saying anything about how a certain style of leadership is more improvisational <coughs> um, not necessarily okay
1: not not in um, i can tell I, I can i have feelings and opinions about that but that was not in this research
0: share one of your opinions
1: <laughs> well rotating leadership of course has the most is most like what we do on a stage in what way we um, do not know beforehand who is going to be the main actor in a scene. Um, And we can even shift focus towards whoever it needs to be on. And Mm -hmm. we are all constantly, at least proficient uh, improvisers, constantly asking, what does the scene need? And in in companies, a a leader basically always asks, what does this team or what does this process need? Mm -hmm. And so in rotating leadership,
0: everybody will have that question Sometimes. And we'll step forward to provide it when needed and when we're competent to do so. Yes.
1: And for example, if you had expertise in, 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 uh, um, in, in wood, you would step forward when wood will be the issue. And if I have expertise in steel, I
0: would step forward yes. when steel is the issue. Okay. So you did your PhD. That's right. yep. no, a was, master's. This is a master's. Sorry, I don't want to overqualify you. Yeah. You did your master's. And where did you go from there? Um From there, uh,
1: back then we had six um, simulations instead of 36. We um, handed it, wrote a paper, handed it in, and they said, this is a really nice innovative concept that you've got here. Um, but basically it's lacking academic rigor um, meaning six is too is too little. go do some more. So mm-hmm. we did some more. We had, I think in the meantime five bachelor students who have actually made this, Um, Research their own and and added to it and um, tested certain parts of Mm -hmm. it and now we are at the point where we say okay we are far enough that we can claim enough academic rigor that's where we are now that's where we are now and we um, and and again write it up and give it to a journal to see whether it can be published and that's the first part Of the research that you're of the research that we are planning. Not I. I still have to get the funding together and so on. planning to do. And the second part. The second part is where do we go from there? Also, as um, uh, as a field, and what I think is really important, and what we have some great discussions also uh, on this retreat, is to use improvisation. as a way for organizations to develop themselves. Give an example, a concrete example. Um, for example, in a, in a big international humanitarian organization that I'm working for, which I won't name out of privacy reasons, um, they recently had a, a change in organizational structure, so the hierarchy changed, and, and there were new functions introduced, and so on, new strategy. And now they are looking to have more of a, a uh, culture that's based on trust. And a culture that, that's based on letting go. So what we are doing there... Letting go of what? Letting go of... Um, fixed structure. Letting go of... Um, that they had before. Yeah, that they had before, but and also...
0: Yeah. No, Trusting in what? Each other, that, that things will work out well. Trusting yes, what? All of that. All of that. Uh, basically, uh, they
1: have around 400 professional employees and 30,000 volunteers uh, in the Netherlands alone Mm -hmm. and uh, trusting um, both as management trusting their professional employees but also for the employees to trust the volunteers that they will do the right thing while at the same time they do have a vision about what they want to do and what they want to be
0: have you got an organization whose trading in disasters, they're going to be the last people to trust that things will work out well. Their whole experience is of things, and their orientation is of things working out badly. Mm -hmm. But how do you go about introducing this concept to them as a
1: plausible way forward? Because the trust is not in the situation or the weather, but in humans, in people. Mm -hmm. And they actually have, because they, they deal in disaster, they know the resiliency of people. They know how people so will always try to work it out
0: for the best. When people are faced with disaster, they are resilient and also presumably improvisational. Because yes, when you have a disaster, yes, it's not going the way it was planned. Yes. And even though they know this,
1: and even though they know fixed structures do mm. not work, especially in a disaster uh, moment, because they break down, mm. Um they are... A, a professional organization, just like any other organization, and they, are, uh, and that's just the you know twentieth century management thinking, which is if we if we structure it, if we control it, com- command and control, then we will be able as top management to see everything that's happening, and um, everything will be okay if we can control it. But they know they're they cannot do that anymore. But they still have the old structures in place from that old
0: system. And what, what's the pivotal moment or the, the conversation or the mm-hmm. meeting that makes a difference that they'll go for this shift into a more improvisational approach?
1: Um, their employees want and need this.
0: How'd they make that known?
1: <laughs> By asking uh, me and Hank van der Steen, who I uh, were asked to work together on this, um, to come in and <laughs> do a session about Trust and Letting Go.
0: And Just as a demonstration of what might be possible?
1: No, I one of the local directors um, was in a free session that I offered. Mm-hmm. And um, she was very um, happy and very inspired. Uh, so she she went back. Um, and it was during the times that they had the organizational reshuffling, so she ended up at a different, uh, different position. It was and a good moment it was for good that one, uh, to be well. a possibility they could see. It, it was Yeah, two months later, uh, yes. she, she didn't see any other possibilities, and two months later,
0: it, there was suddenly a lot of room and space. Yeah. And, We've been talking on mm-hmm. the retreat about yes. how applied improvisation is so much more than a workshop, or some fun, or mm-hmm. some entertainment. It's got this possibility for transformational change, Yes, and the Organizations are somehow more ready to see that, or improvisers are more ready to offer that, yes. and to have those conversations where that possibility is obvious, and there's a moment to say, "Right, let's do it." Yes. And, and what happens next when you've got that moment of saying, "Let's do it"? How do you do? Well, how we, do you do it?
1: We first came in and did a workshop. So let's let's be clear. We did a one day workshop. Actually, we did a half day workshop, and then the second half of the day we spend translating that workshop into policy, which as I already think is important because you make your workshop and your inspiration that improvisation brings, you translate that into something that's real for them and that will have a lasting value for them. Can you give one
0: example of a, a policy or something that sounds yes. like a policy? Yes.
1: Um, this is their volunteer policy. So for example, um, how do we um, deal with the local chapters? Um, how much um, do we um, write down for them? And they had a 20-point PowerPoint, a 20-bullet PowerPoint slide uh, of things that they had to do during the year. And after this session, it became still bullet points. okay. Uh, but a, a five-bullet point slide. On and the grounds
0: that this was easier for people to take in. Yes, and, and you, on and the, the grounds. Most important thing.
1: Those are the the most important things, and on the grounds we trust you, and we let go of those other 15 parts, so that you can, you know your local chapter better than we know your local chapter, so please fill in those other 15 uh, points the way you see
0: fit. This is trust in action, Mm -hmm. manifest in a policy, that becomes simpler, Mm -hmm. and gives that freedom for people to take more of their own responsibility for their own local circumstance.
1: Yes, and you give them minimal structures. And minimal structures are not, is not the lack of structure. But you give them a structure that helps people and not hinders people. Mm-hmm. And the 20 bullet points were hindering people. And the 5 bullet points are helping people by giving them an aid to organization, to organizing their chapter without giving them a lot of unnecessary
0: ballast. How, how much do you know about how that's working out? Um,
1: I know the reactions afterwards, and we have done several um, evaluations um, in which they say uh, this is a term that Hank uh, van der Steen uh, introduced. Um, we, instead of saying um, we are planning to do this, we are saying, um, I'm struggling with the translation issue here. It's so very fluent in Dutch, uh, van uh, which means we, we might do this. What's the significance of that? Um, it's not setting things in stone as a plan uh, will be. So a plan for the coming year or for the coming two years will be to do this in month one, this in month three, month five, month uh, such and so on. And now we say we might, we, we envision they're doing something along these lines.
0: They've built more flexibility into the yes. way they're going to the future.
1: Yes. And or- that's a useful thing. And that's a useful thing um, because it gives them more freedom to do what they are good at while at the same time providing enough structure that they have clarity Mm -hmm. and that it helps them to move forward. Mm -hmm. And now this is, we're in the middle of this process. So that's why I'm not naming the organization. Maybe in a later time you will read something uh, of a blog of Hank of Me and say, ah, this is what he was talking about. You'll see. Um, but right now, they, we started with the volunteer managers, so 30, uh, 30 people who are responsible for 30,000 volunteers, and now we are looking at the management team, and we are actually tackling the planning and control cycle. They have a two-year planning and control cycle, which is very um, commanding and, and, and you know strict schedule that they are now trying to see, can we let go of that structure a bit? Um, what can we do now? They're, um, they're in in the middle of, of the cycle 2014-2016. Um, so what can we do in this cycle already a bit? And then afterwards they start making plans for the new cycle. How can we then really do that more improvisationally?
0: Mm-hmm. What are your reflections on the connection between this research and academic mm-hmm. practice, studying things, and seeing something happen of practical difference within an organization that's dealing with tough things in the community or in the world. Um,
1: I think we, we need both as, an, as a field. For applied improvisation or organizational improvisation or just improvisation as a field to grow, we need to just go out and do it and um, quick and dirty, if must be. Um, and we need to um, look at it. And as we improvisers can do, be present really with what we are doing and, and maybe um, help other people to understand what and why we are doing and why
0: and how it works. Anything else you would like to add? Nice. Um, oh, so
1: much, but I I've been talking uh, your head, uh, your ears off this entire retreat. So, I think for now, um, what for me, uh, what I am really passionate about, uh, for improvisation as a field, is to indeed go beyond those workshops, go beyond the arts, as and they're an, a good entry uh, uh, way to to improvisation, but. Treat improvisation as a way of doing things, as a mindset that's applicable to everything, and then see if we can apply it, or actually use it, in all different contexts, and then just pick the context that's nearest to you, such as organizational development, development is for me, and apply improvisation, use improvisation in that context.
0: Thank you very much. Hi.